the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. And I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. At Shalom Klein, it's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss, so let's jump right in. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by an entrepreneur and a marketing consultant, um, and that is Brett Kaufman. Brett has made over $3 million as a political fundraiser and has a degree in, st- in study communication and media studies from Towson University, and he's a partner at Wellspring Media Marketing Consultancy that has made over $45 million for its clients and Wellspring has been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, and the New York Times. So, Brett, I know you know a thing or two about marketing and about how to uh, wordsmith and turn uh, posts and emails into profit, and that's what we're going to talk about. Brett, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. So I love to get to know the person behind the microphone. I know, as mentioned, and I know you and I were talking offline about how you have always been a bit of wordsmith. You've always been careful with how you communicate and you've been able to utilize those skills to generate dollars for good causes in the nonprofit space. And now you're doing a great job um, working with businesses and maybe some nonprofits too. How did you become so passionate about this work? So you told me keep it succinct. So we're going to definitely keep it succinct. But I just want to quickly say, as you are the king of networking, like the intro said, I love how to all the listeners we just found out we knew like a hundred people in common, <laughs> which is just the smallest, making the world the smallest of the places it could be. So I love that. Um, so my passion in words came backwards in the sense that I grew up being not a good writer, you know, getting C's on my papers, like writing was not a forte of mine. But after, uh, so I lived in Israel for a little bit of time and I came back and that was my sophomore year of college, came back from my junior year of college after living in Tel Aviv, and I had an amazing year in Israel, but I fell into a very deep state of depression to the point that I pretty much lost my ability to speak. So I felt like my jaw was clenched. I literally felt like I couldn't have conversations. So I'd walk around with a notebook and I would write out things that I was trying to say because I literally couldn't get the words out of my mouth. And that led me to being one, obviously trying to overcome that, but also then studying the greatest speakers. So whether they were writers on paper or like speakers like on stage or listening to podcasts, like how do people say certain words to get emotions across? And I, I fell in love with learning how to clearly communicate. And yeah. Um, then with all, obviously my passion, cause I was living in Israel and then I wanted to get involved with activism. 
uh, Towson's only an hour from DC. So I spent so much time not in school and working on the Hill and working for like think tanks and eventually led me to working for APAC where my job was to cold call. Uh, and so I cold call like a hundred people a day. And uh, um, I realized it was much easier for me to raise money if I wrote really good emails or text scripts. And that thing God allowed me to raise like the $3 million for them in, in, in the three years I was there, which I'm so proud of because I was really good at speaking their language and in words, I'll get them to go, okay, I'll sit down with this person and hear what they have to say. Well, we're going to talk about Wellspring Media in just a moment, but I want to talk about that key point that you just mentioned that I know all of our listeners are fascinated by. Because when we talk about emails and when we talk about copy, often those are viewed as a tedious, time-consuming chore of, hey, I need to get that copy over to the printer before we produce that trifold, or I need to get that email off in for my constant contact or for my MailChimp before the deadline, and I'm just going to rush through it, cram, make sure it gets out and uh, to hit the deadline, and wow, I'm successful in marketing. Brett, is that not the case? So not anymore. That used to be the old way when you have that mindset around it. Now it's all about everything is written communication. It's how we communicate to everyone. And so when you can shift it and say, oh, this is just like I'm having a conversation like we're having, but on words, you change your entire relationship to it. Indeed, absolutely. So I know that's become your area of expertise. And certainly social media is something that's become even more important in the uh, times of COVID when folks are, you know, transitioning, we're spending perhaps more time looking at those computer screens, as mentioned, those email copy, um, yeah. just, you know, wordsmithing in general. But so th- that, that sort of segues into what Wellspring does. I know you specialize in a couple of different areas. Do you mind telling us about what you and your team do and, and how everybody's expertise combined creates this sort of dynamic um, partnership with your clients? Yeah, so that's a great question. So we work with some of the largest brands from people like Under Armour, Reebok, Adidas, to large people in the coaching space and, and e-com space, eight, nine-figure companies. And what we found was when you sit down with someone, they're so good at explaining themselves. Like you feel that passion, but when you read their words on the page, it doesn't transfer over. And But because you can't always have that face time, especially how large companies like these are, it loses its connection. And so our whole job to transfer that passion from the spoken word to the written word. So every time you read something, you're like, oh, I like this or I don't like it. That's the best thing about marketing, the clear communication. And so we always, what we really help people to, whether it's a smaller company or all the way to the larger brands I mentioned, is how to take the words you passionately are speaking like you and I are now and making sure when the person reads it, know exactly who you are, exactly what you do, and they get to decide if this is for them or not for them. So I know you have gone from sort of hating writing maybe not being so great at writing. So now you are uh, fond of the terms captivating copywriting and you and your colleagues at Wellspring Media are dedicating an enormous amount of time to helping businesses and organizations to become better at the process. But I want to go back to that example that you just used about cold calls. I think you mentioned it in regards to your time fundraising at APAC, that you are making all those cold calls. I have to ask, as a uh, sort of fascinated, uh, interested party in the industry in general, uh, how has cold calling changed since the onset of COVID? Ooh, that's also a really great question. So cold calling has changed because one... I mean, I don't know about you. I don't check my voicemail anymore. In fact, my, my Nana yells at me all the time because she would never leave a voicemail because I just, I just never delete it. So it just become more obsolete. But people are always on their phone. And so the first realization I had was like, all right, well, if I miss them, meaning they don't pick up the phone, 
what are the odds they're going to check their voicemail? What if I text them? And so how voice, so how cold calling has changed, it should be called cold texting or just cold outreach in general, because it gives you a lot more paths to go down. And so when I started to call, so then saw my number, but they didn't pick up and then sent a text, which popped up on their phone screen, that got a ton more engagement back. Cause I had like an email subject line, one or two sentences to say, Hey, this is who I am. I want to talk to you about this. Then they would call me back or they would at least respond back to me in text. That got so much more than ever leaving a voicemail ever could. Absolutely. So our listeners know that this show is all about sort of that homework assignment, that thing that we want people to put into practice, put into action in the week ahead so they can have a better week, a more successful week in business. So you just mentioned something I'm very, very passionate about, which is subject lines, subject lines instead of just the, um, the subject line of following up. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I know you spent a lot of time on the Hill. I, I get so many emails from every member of Congress fundraising just one more time or something like that. Right. But either way, what is it that that small business owners, too, should be putting into practice to, uh, frankly, up their open rate? Ooh, so actually, I have a five step uh, five step system that I walk everyone through that will that will allow them to Please. truly know. Cool. So first one. Um, record every single sales call that you've ever been on. And if not, find, find any past client and then record them. Why? Because step number two, go to otter.ai or any transcribing app you like. We like Otter. On Otter, if you're not familiar with it, you get to see the exact words that your people use in this conversation like we would transcribe this call right now. Step number three, take three highlighters. One, Take uh, a red one, which you can hear about like their mark anytime you hear their fears or frustration or anger. Two, get blue. Blue is more talking about hopes and dreams. And then green, anything money related. And then organize it. So now you marked up these page. Step four, organize it in a Google Doc. Literally copy and paste the exact words that they use. Step five, then you start testing it in your emails or your text scripts. So to wrap it together with subject lines, when I start to identify a common theme, pain, hope, dream, I will then put that in the subject line because if my, we sell to people are just like us, so I can just throw that in the subject line and see if that's getting higher open rates because I at least know the exact words that they're using on a sales call with me. And that's been that huge. is some great advice right there. That's some great advice from Brett Kaufman, partner at Wellspring Media. Brett, we're running near to the end of our time together. I want to make sure our listeners know where they can learn more than just those five steps because I know you share a lot through great communication and I know you're very responsive. How can our listeners get in touch with you and your team? Yeah, so either at our website, wellspringmedia.com, on Instagram, Brett, B-R-E-T-T dot Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N, the number's 26, or Facebook, which is just Brett Kaufman. And those are the three places. And if you ever want any of your copy looked at, we're happy to do a free audit because we love helping out anyone. So shoot me a message. You talk to me, you don't talk to a team member, you get all of us because we really love helping out. Brett Kaufman from Wellspring Media. I encourage all of our listeners to get in touch. Great advice there. I look forward to uh, following up with you and sharing more in the coming weeks and months. But we've got to squeeze in a quick break. More and get down to business when we return in just a moment. Hey, welcome. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm thrilled to be joined by Jeffrey Canis, who has decades of experience working in the technology industry, but interestingly enough, also in the analytics field. Jeffrey is the founder, chief investment strategist, and portfolio manager at Inherent Wealth Funds, um, which we are going to talk about. Really, really interesting um, because of uh, his involvement in the sports betting market. And we're going to talk all about that in just a moment. Jeffrey Camus, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It is a pleasure. So as mentioned, you uh, are uh, you have a lot of experience in that world of technology and analytics. And of course, as the uh, founder of Inherent Wealth Funds, um, very, very interesting, but you are also the founder, creator, and owner of Dr. Spot, Dr. Stats, sorry, Fantasy Sports. How did you become so passionate about these two lines of work? So when I was younger, I played a lot of sports. I grew up in Chicago, I played baseball most of my life, and I was you know, fascinated by how baseball essentially is a counting game. You know, you're counting things all the time. And after things happen a number of times, like in baseball, when a hitter bats 500 times, you're going to see distinctive patterns. And the stock market's really like that as well. And after I got injured, I hurt my shoulder and I couldn't really pitch anymore. I was a pitcher. I wanted to be part of baseball still. And so I started this company when I was in my 20s called Dr. Stats Fantasy Sports. It was one of the very first fantasy sports companies. And we were doing all kinds of cool things with analytics. Now, they're really simple now if you look at them, but we just had portfolios of players. And that, that really wasn't even done because we're talking about in the days of Informix databases where... There were really no databases on the internet at the time. You just had flat pages, and we were creating that. So it was really cool. I wouldn't say I'm on the Mount Rushmore for fantasy sports, but I'm, I was one of the first uh, kind of online companies in that business. And I ran it, you know, really didn't want to work for someone else. I had young kids. I wanted to have kids and kind of grow that and be around. And that allowed me to do everything I wanted to do when I was uh, raising them. So ran that for like 15 years and then kind of got into more of the analytics of how really how analyzing players is really similar to picking stocks. Well, if I'm doing the math correctly with uh, the timeline of when you started Dr. Stats, Dr. Stats Fantasy Sports, it means that you were uh, an early adopter of the World Wide Web, which is pretty cool. And you've continued to adapt and adopt um, as the host of the Stock Smart podcast. So we'll talk about all of those things, but I am really, really fascinated by sports betting because it's in the news quite a bit. So, you know, tell us sort of where you see things going. Um, just in the market overall nationally in that sports betting market? So one of the things that I would tell you is that, you know, a lot of times they have these analogies of like innings. They'll say like we're in a bull market. Right now we're in, we're in kind of a different market, but they'll say something like we're in inning three or inning four. Sports betting world is in inning zero. It's still growing and they're competing. Like in Europe, they're in like inning three or four. It's been around for a long time. But in the U.S., we're really only talking about legalized sports betting in the last two or three years. So it's growing very rapidly. There's a, there's a fight for consumers and customers. And so it's just, it's just burgeoning. And I think one of the cool things, especially about Chicago, there's, there's plans from Bally's to build a casino down on the waterfront there. And yeah, it's exciting. That was just announced. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was just announced. It's 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 interesting. So that's a perfect segue. Talk about sort of the uh, the policy side, the uh, the legalization piece of sports betting. Um, I know you follow this very very closely, state by state, um, and even nationally. Uh, any any sort of comments or trends that you're seeing? Well, we're going to see the big ones are coming up is California. So the the biggest uh, tumblers to to not drop yet are California, 
Texas and Florida. Texas is going to be further away. Florida's had some legislation attempts, but we're at 34 states now. You know, the last most recent one was Kansas. And Kansas wants to actually, they want to poach the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, out of Missouri. And Missouri is not legalizing right now. But what we're seeing is this fight for territory because what happens is we don't want, in certain states, we don't want them going somewhere else to do this, right? We want the revenue in the states. So it doesn't make sense for to have someone going next door, as they were doing in New Jersey uh, from New York, to not bring the revenue there. And then we saw a huge growth when New York legalized in December, January of last year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm chatting with Jeffrey Canis, um, for the founder of Inherent Wealth Fund and the uh, also the founder, creator, and owner of Dr. Stats Fantasy Sports. We've been chatting about sports betting and some of the uh, interesting dynamics of the industry overall. And I do have one more question on that topic. Um, I did see in the news that Disney has entered into the sports betting market as well. What does that mean for the uh, for the future? Of course. Well, it means it's mainstream. You know, I think it's like uh, Wall Street comes to Main Street in the sports betting world. And Disney, of course, we all know they own ESPN. So it's a natural for them to turn that into something where, you know, they can also benefit because most of their content really what drives the sports betting is content media. So if you have a media company, it makes the most sense to be involved in sports betting. And we see this with, you know, Fox betting. I mean, they, Fox essentially created the USFL to have more opportunities for sports betting. You know, they brought that back after it's been gone for 25 years or whatever, 30 years. And they brought the USFL back just because they know that people were crazy about football. I mean, football does, you know, 10 and 30 times the business than any of the other sports do in, in the U.S. Now, in, in Europe, it's, it's football or soccer. But here right. it's, you know, um, U.S. But what, what it gives you an opportunity. This is a great place to invest right now because we're in such the early part of this stage of the business. And that's why I'm essentially I brought together this ETF, an exchange traded fund called IBET, I-B-E-T which is traded on NASDAQ, which is like a grouping of these companies, these 30 to 40 companies that, I'll, that I choose that are in the ETF where it, there's, there's going to be a lot of in new industries, you have this exposure where it's, the, it's wide open. You'll have new companies, maybe they don't do well, but an ETF gets you the exposure to the space without the risk of a single individual stock. Absolutely, and that's exactly where I was going to go because I, it, you know, it sounds interesting, this IBET ETF um, so, uh, and I know you, you spend a lot of time sharing insight through your stock smart podcast, which I encourage all of our listeners to subscribe, of course, rate, review, and share as well. So what are some of the more interesting holdings in your ETF right now? Well, I really think Bally's is kind of an interesting company. And, and again, they're bringing a, a new casino to Chicago on the waterfront. I'm not sure if the site's been picked yet. That's an interesting company. You also have a company like uh, Flutter which owns FanDuel, who we're all very familiar with. Uh, and FanDuel may be its own public offering soon as well. And then you have things like DraftKings, which everyone knows about, and Penn National Gaming. Those are some of the interesting holdings um, that are going on. But there's other companies, too. You know, there's, if you've been to Las Vegas, and I'm sure you have, and many of your listeners have, there's the owner of the Fremont Street Hotel, which we've all been to old Las Vegas, and that's a company called Boyd's, which actually isn't one of these companies that's growth at all costs. They're making money. And their numbers are really good. And they've actually, they've actually done extremely well in the past year, more than some of their other competitors. Well, chatting about Vegas for a second, um, I know uh, you and I uh, discussed this offline, that the MGM recently purchased the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Vegas. What is going on behind the scenes over there? 
Well, so that was one of the few properties that's in that park of hotels the MGM has. Like they have this whole very uh, connected chain of hotels, but that was not owned by them. And that's a fight for the younger generation. Most of this industry really is going to be digital, meaning you're going to be at a saloon or a place where you get a drink and you're going to pick up your phone and you're going to place a wager on your phone. So what they're doing there is that's a demographic bid because that's the youngest, one of the youngest casinos on the strip. Very trendy, upper scale crowd, but the right demographic, like the 25 to 35 year old uh, person who's going to be betting online for a long time. And that, that move was really to, to get an upscale hotel with a young demographic. Interesting, interesting. So again, I'm chatting with Jeffrey Kames from the Inherent Wealth Fund and Dr. Stats Fantasy Sports. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, as we come to the conclusion of our conversation, what's the one bit of advice that you have for our listeners? Uh, is this something that they should keep their eye on and how do they get involved? Right. You can invest if you're interested in this in this area by, um, you know, purchasing the iBet ETF on, you know, wherever you trade, if it's E-Trade or Schwab or whichever service you use. And I think really in this space, because there's, there's going to be, you don't want the singular company risk. We have great growth. The cager in this marketplace is supposed to be 12 to 15% in the next five years. So there's great growth. If you want to invest, uh, you can look up the iBet ETF um, with Inherent Wealth Fund, and, and that's how you get involved. Cool. And I know you've got your podcast and I know all of our listeners will want to follow truly the subject matter expert in this line of work, sports betting, uh, ETFs in general. How can we get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me uh, searching Google me, uh, Jeffrey Camus, Inherent Wealth Fund, or again, the IBET, IBET ETF. Fantastic. Well, Jeffrey Camus, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners. I know this is a topic that we'll be hearing and seeing a lot more about, especially in Chicago, but certainly around the country. And uh, we'll be sure to check back with you. Jeffrey Camus, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. And I encourage everybody to check out your podcast. But a quick break, some headlines, commercials. We'll be right back and get down to business. The show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. When we return in just a moment. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I encourage all of our listeners to get in touch with our friend, sponsor of the show. His name is Tom Marabali, healthplanchicago.com, healthplanchicago.com. For all of your health insurance, Affordable Care Act needs, um, truly a guru and truly available almost, almost 24 hours a day. I think he rests maybe for about 30 minutes just to close his eyes. Um, but other than that, pretty much he answers every single call within a few minutes about uh, the Affordable Care Act and health insurance. And trust me, your business and your family will not regret the time that you spend on the phone with him. He'll give you a free consultation. Just mention you heard about his services on Get Down to Business. But do you know how long it takes to nail that first impression? It's seven seconds. Yes, 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 you heard that correct. Not hours, not minutes, but seconds. That's why you need a catchy email subject line every time you send an email. I was chatting earlier in the program with Brett Kaufman, um, who we started talking about this, and I encourage all of our listeners, of course, to get in touch with him and his team at Wellspring Media. But maybe you've written an amazing email body, but if your subject doesn't cut it, I could virtually promise you your readers won't open the email. And this, I've seen 
time and time and time again. There's a lot of uh, you know statistics that are out there, but the reality is, is that the email open rate is that percentage of the total number of subscribers that's opened an email. And if you are uh, if you are only getting you know, less than 10% of, of your emails being open when you're sending a marketing campaign, or maybe, maybe even when you're sending personal emails, then that's a big problem. You really need to look at that email subject line as a defining parameter. Did you know that 47% of email recipients open email depending on the subject line, whereas 69% of email recipients report email spam based solely on the subject line? So you can see how subject lines directly impact email open rates. People read or trash emails based on what they see and hear in this subject line. However, when you add personalization subject lines, you're going to have more than 22% more likely to be open. So the more catchy the subject line is the more people will be inclined to open that email. So now that you know that importance of that one line that has the potential to grab the attention of customers, let's take a look at some of the best email marketing subject lines from the industry so far in 2022. So let's cut right to the chase. I spent time searching the internet, looking for the catchiest email subject lines so you didn't have to. And I was blown away. So I'm just going to share a couple of them. Some of them are cool. Some of them are funky. Some of them resonate and so on. So here's, here's one. Google sees smartphone heroics in Oreo. It's the daily crunch. That came from TechCrunch, which is a new, newsletter that keeps people updated about the latest news and developments from the world of technology. Okay, there's another one. Where to drink beer right now. That was sent at 6.45 a.m. on a Wednesday. It couldn't have been better timed by Eater Boston. After a busy day midweek, this can be the perfect thing to wake up to and ease out a little bit. Uh-oh, your prescription is expiring. That came from a, uh, from a company called um, Warby Parker, and he used that line to attract customers to buy glasses. Uh-oh, certainly invokes that fear of missing out. Don't open this email. When we're told not to do something, I don't know about you, I tend to be more curious to open that content and read it. That's what Manicube used in their marketing email subject line. But be careful. Only use the subject line when the reader's familiar with your brand or service. Otherwise, they might just block you. Best of Groupon, the deals that make us proud, unlike our nephew, Steve. Sarcastic or humorous line can pique the interest of readers. And Groupon used this strategy, honestly, the best that I've seen. What they eat in prison do not commit these Instagram atrocities. Catchy language always urges the reader to look forward to exciting content. That came from Thrillist. Black Friday shoppers are the worst customers. That came from a LinkedIn newsletter talking about holiday marketing. 10 bizarre marketing habits making millennials richer. Subject lines that are leading will always urge the recipient to know more about the subject line. So, I could go on and on and on, and depending on what you're trying to do, curiosity. Curiosity is something that works wonders. Adding text or content will invoke interest in the reader's mind. Really important, urgency. Urgency is a classic approach. I've seen it in political fundraising quite a bit because it compels the reader to take some immediate action. Relevance. The reality is that people want timely and trendy information. That's what you should be giving. And this idea should be leveraged while designing subject lines as well. Personalization. I want to take a minute and talk about this one. Personalization offers a feeling of importance and is one of the best strategies that you can do in content marketing. Not only helps retain good relationships, but it also generates more leads. So a couple of quick best practices as we wrap up over here, keep it short and simple. Be precise. Um, You need to make sure that your subject line is within 50 characters so that the followers can 
read the entire subject. Think about the most important words and avoid any unnecessary uh, details. Avoid no reply sender names. I mean, this should be a no-brainer, but yes, you want to put a name in the email that it's coming from. Don't just use no reply at yourcompany.com. Avoid using all caps. Studies show that 85% of recipients prefer subject lines in lowercase. Make sure you are avoiding making false promises. Make the recipient feel special. Give an engaging pretext. And if you have the, the tools to do it, personalize your emails. It will go a long way. So hopefully you found that helpful. I'm going to squeeze in a quick break here and get down to business. You can always get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the past eight plus years of shows all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. When we come back, we'll be joined by attorney Andy Hayes. Again, continuing the conversation all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Make sure you get on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe, rate, review, and share so you don't miss a single episode. We are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, and we will be right back. Hey, welcome back to Get Down to Business as Promised. I'm thrilled to be joined by attorney Andrew Hayes, um, who is running his law practice, but I'm going to qualify the word, the word he in just a moment, um, from around the world, from Chicago to Croatia to Costa Rica to Colorado. I love uh, professionals that are true entrepreneurs, and that is truly Andrew Hayes. Andy, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for the for the kind intro. Uh, it's good absolutely, to be here. absolutely, it's great to have you. So, you have a partner in your firm who happens to live with you. Can we talk a little bit about uh, uh, what 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 partnership? Uh, how you bring that word to a whole new level in your line of work? Yes, yes. Well, we live together. She was my life partner before she was my law partner. But yes, my wife and I are uh, running this business together. That's fantastic. That's been, great. We've been doing that probably. She's been fully engaged for quite a number of years now, but we, I started alone, and then as things progressed and it became busier, there were more demands on our, our needs, and we had the financial ability to do so, then she quit working for someone else, and, and we joined up together. That's awesome, and uh, you got four, four children, and uh, we'll see. Uh, time will tell whether they join you as well. But uh, the Hayes Firm, LLC, Chicago-based practice, and they specialize in estate probate, trust, and business law, including restaurant law and obtaining liquor licenses. Um, how did you become passionate about this specific area of, of the law? Um, about the estate and trust aspect, when I first started out, um, I realized that a lot of attorneys in the estate area only like to draft the estate plans, and they never want to set foot in the courtroom. But I found that we can we do enjoy being in the courtroom and helping to uh, solve problems for people after a loved one passes or maybe if there's a need for a guardianship. We provide a lot of value to our clients in that way. And it, it's been profitable in the sense that there's, a, like I said, a lot of attorneys do not want to go inside of a courtroom. So we get a lot of business from them. And I, I, I it has all of the aspects that interest me in business. You know, these, these estates are, are run basically a small business, you know, a, small business that lasts anywhere from one to two years and with the eventual instead of selling the business you know you're going to be distributing the assets to everyone who the assets should go to pursuant to the will or the trust so 
um, it's very interesting and it brings in a, a lot of different uh, legal issues, interpersonal issues. It's a fascinating area of the law. Sure is, absolutely. So you're based in Chicago, but you have, uh, you've, you've, you're very proud, I know, of developing a uh, bit of a global practice, which uh, we will say is a partnership in life and in law. We talked about that life piece. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the law. Um, Croatia, my guess is that there's a, a special connection to you or your partner. Uh, yes, my wife, uh, she is first generation American. Her parents were born in Croatia, came to America just before my wife was born. Um, and they currently have a place over there uh, near Split, which is along the Adriatic coast, very beautiful part of the world. And so we try to spend as much time there as possible and run the business to whatever extent is possible, which now it's certainly much more possible than it ever was eight years ago or more. So that's, that's definitely the connection we have to Croatia. I, I'm focused on setting up my business in a way which I don't need to have my hand in every single thing that happens. If, if that were the type of business I was running, that's actually not a business. That's just a personal service uh, provider. Uh, you would never be able to do the type of things that I, I want to do. You know, you run a business, you have all the risk of failure. You might as well reap some of the rewards um, in, in the lifestyle components that are available to you, which are not available to you if you're, if you're um, an employee or an employee with a boss that doesn't see things that way. I'm chatting with Andy Hayes from the Hayes Firm LLC based in Chicago. Uh, together with his wife, uh, specialized in uh, probate. A couple of areas we'll talk a little bit more about, but Andy, you just led uh, down the perfect direction because as mentioned, you're not just an attorney, but you are a business owner. And I just heard it in your voice. You are so passionate about being a business owner and no doubt you have a lot of expertise to share on that topic with our listeners, many small business owners themselves. What is that one, I'll just go with, frankly, mistake that you made perhaps as you uh, established your firm that maybe you don't want to see somebody listening to this program go down that same direction? I think, I mean, well, there's, you know, been a lot, I suppose, just like anyone. Um, but I think the main advice that I, I do give it to people when they ask me, or sometimes even if they don't ask me, um, but... I think the mistake that someone like me, because when I started this out, uh, this business, it was just me in a little share, you know, like a, not a WeWork, they didn't have that then. It was, it was very, very much more low end, but it was that type of environment. It was, you know, cheap office, me, a printer and a computer. And then I was hesitant to take the step of hiring people, you know? And so I, I saw it more as a, a line item of cost rather than a revenue generating um, possibility. So I think that is my mistake is maybe that I waited too long to do that. And mm -hmm. I kind of was more into the, I wasn't in the growth business owner mindset um, from the beginning. I mean, I guess you have to be to even start your own business, but I think that that's a, a mistake. And that's the advice I would give to go back to your question is do not be afraid to hire someone because it's not a line item of expense. It's actually an opportunity to grow. And there will be things that that person can do on day one that you didn't even realize you needed to be done. And then that will free up you up to go capture clients and, and do higher um, revenue generating work than, than what you can hire someone to do.
Well, that's solid advice right there. And we're going to have more advice when we return after this very quick break on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm chatting with Andy Hayes, who has a uh, partnership in law and in life with his wife, a great firm. We're going to talk a little bit about a little more about their services in just a moment. You're listening to Get Down to Business. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Firm, um, attorneys, uh, which includes uh, Andy, who's joining us uh, here, as well as Antonia, uh, his wonderful wife, uh, partner in the firm. And uh, we were just chatting before the break about how they are entrepreneurs themselves, uh, partners in life and in business. Uh, a couple has four children, and since 2008, have run the Hayes Firm LLC, a Chicago-based practice that spe- specializes in estate, probate, trust, and business law. And we're going to talk about some of those areas. So, Andy. What makes your firm different, and why should business owners tuning in uh, want to get in touch with you? Um, thank you. Yeah, I think that what differentiates us from the rest of the pack, I would say, is that we do have courtroom experience. I mean, we, we know what it's like to be in the courtroom defending an estate plan or defending an operating agreement in a business. So we bring that experience of confronting those uh, conflicts and problems uh, to the drafting process and to the consultation process. So uh, we provide estate plans, trusts, powers of attorney, and we bring all that knowledge to see things that, frankly, maybe some other attorney won't see uh, because they don't have that experience in working out um, after someone's death, working out that estate. Uh, you, you really learn a lot. And, at this point, I won't say we've seen everything, but we have definitely seen a lot, a lot of unforeseen events, um, things that you frankly can't, you know, plan for unless you've you've been through them and advise someone through the process. Yeah, and you're you're touching on something really important. Often, when you hear estate planning, people sort of uh, isolate that to more of the personal side of things. But when you're in business, your personal and your professional are very very tied in together. So yes. When you talk about estate planning, you need to make sure, you, well, I should say when you're talking about business, you need to make sure that you're thinking about your family, that you're thinking about your loved ones and how you're setting them up uh, in the future. And that sort of ties into the uh, business law side of things. I know that you are uh, very, very skilled in that world of business litigation as well. Uh, just as we start to come to the conclusion of our conversation, uh, you've said a moment ago that you've seen a lot. Um, what are some of the things that business owners tuning in can do on the, call it, preventative medicine side of things, things that business owners should do to protect themselves um, and, and ensure that they're looking out uh, uh, for, for their future and well-being. Absolutely. Uh, well, the first thing that all business owners should do is make sure that their business is not owned by them individually. Make sure that they have either an LLC or a corporation and on top of that, or with that, I should say, uh, that that LLC has an operating agreement or there's a shareholder agreement, some type of written agreement that will govern the operation of that business, that will talk about personal liability in the event of certain situations. Or very, very important is what happens when one of the partners dies? Uh, do you want that partner's spouse or you know, their siblings or whomever 
to be a 50% owner in that business, which they don't know anything about running? Uh, the that's a rhetorical question. The answer is definitely no. Um, you need a buy-sell agreement so that there is um, an insurance policy that can fund that buyout. And then the person who just lost their loved one can take the cash buyout and you know move on. And they don't need to be messing around with this business that, frankly, they know nothing about. Well, that's some good advice right there from Andy Hayes, attorney uh, based in Chicago, but uh, practicing uh, as a uh, certainly as an entrepreneur and uh, has shared quite a bit of advice um, in uh, partnership and law and in life, as we've been talking about. Andy, I know our listeners will want to get in touch with you. How can we learn more about your practice? Uh, it's simple. The one stop to go, we've got everything there, is our website. It's Hayes Firm, H-A-Y-S-F-I-R-M dot com. Uh, people can feel free to email me anytime, ahayes at hayesfirm.com. That's Hayes with uh, no E. So okay, I'd be happy to speak with anyone. Hayesfirm.com. Well, that's a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Again, on my website, shalomkline.com. Subscribe to our podcast as well to success. Let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.